Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable Women's World Cup podcast brought to you by Playtaga. If you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eaglesbeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. We cover the Palace ladies during the course of the season. We also covered the, uh, the Women's World Cup this, uh, this summer. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter at the Eaglesbeak. Hi, I'm Kieran Tavum. I'm the founder and presenter of Women's Soccer Zone, a fortnightly audio show covering the women's game and interviewing some of the biggest names in the game from all over the world. You can catch the show on audioboom.com forward slash Zone, and you can follow us on Twitter on at Zone. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, up first, we're going to talk about the third-place match that happened between England and Germany. Uh, in the last podcast, I, I talked about how devastating that must have been and how I wasn't sure they'd be able to get up for it. Kieran disagreed with me, as did Jay. We'll start with Jay. Obviously, a solid performance from England winning third place. Were you surprised at how heavily they fought? Yeah, well, I'd, I mentioned in the last podcast, and and Kieran hit now in the head. Then that you know it's uh, it's a matchup which is um, you know it has history. Um, you know, in in most sports, to be honest, England Germany matchup is is always one the fans are up for, and, and obviously the players as well. But I wasn't sure a third place game is so difficult to predict in you know in tournaments. Yeah, you're not quite sure whether a disappointment will override the fact that. Uh, you know they got a plan of a game and they need that other game and um, but no it was it was very competitive um, the the lineups are quite similar there's a couple of different players started on, on each side but um, you know it simmered nicely the first half it was I think uh, Germany probably had the better of the first half in terms of chances um, but as the second half uh, went on um, England kind of uh, once they dominated but had to and at the end of the uh, the half. Uh, um, Mark Sampson changed things up to to kind of go for the win, and it's it's difficult to kind of decide why they play extra time in a um, you know in the third place playoff game because they've had a lot of football. And but I must admit I didn't want the game to end. It was quite uh, you know it, it was quite it was quite a battle. It was it was tough. Um, you know both both teams are going in hard on on the ball, and it you know it wasn't that friendly atmosphere which I alluded to in the previous uh, in the previous podcast. You know not knowing how how these two teams are going into it, but fair play to them. They they. Carried on as they have done in the tournament. They they used it as a you know another knockout game. Really, they both wanted to win the game. Um, luckily for England, we we were given a penalty, which which was the right call. I think the commentator on, on UK TV actually said that if that foul was anywhere else on the pitch, it would have been a free kick. So you know, a lot of times they you know they say these things that you know you know that's that's uh, that's a harsh penalty. But you know if it was anywhere else on the pitch, it would have been given. So yeah, I, I think the substitute came on and um, and won the penalty and. Um, a bit of delay in tactics by the Germans, a bit of kidology there, but uh, Farrah Williams, you know, took the penalty brilliantly as as she has done before, um, and gave uh, England a win. I think straight afterwards, I think um, 
one of the Germans had a, had a great chance headed um, just wide. Um, but I think that was probably about the only chance they had as, you know, after England took the lead. And I think we were deserved winners of that game. And it was a fantastic response to, to losing to Japan in the way that they did. Um, and to be honest, as, a, as an England fan, I was very, very proud to see us win that game because, it, like I mentioned, it was a great reaction. And, um, you know, you, you could have probably understood if they had gone into that game, you know, you know a little bit on a, on a bit of a damp squib. But they've had a great tournament and they've signed off in style, really, with a, you know, with the bronze medal and, uh, and, and, and come home with their heads held very high which is uh you know a lot of fans of um you know kind of i think the media have said they've fallen in love with them this summer and i think that's probably the right thing to say yeah the the kind of social attitude towards the women's game and the english women's team definitely seemed to improve we saw them celebrating as though they had they'd won the title winning the third place match obviously it meant a lot to them considering what they had dealt with the match before the contrasting photos um being seen of laura bassett obviously very stark images kind of reminding the kind of the dichotomy of sports with the sadness and the joy. Kieran, do you think this has helped propel both the sport as a whole in England and also this England team going forward? Time will tell, I think, on that one. Um, I know the, a few people have given the team a bit of stick for, for celebrating that, that third place finish, but I think what you've got to remember is that there's there's a few a few things that have occurred with that result. It wasn't just the fact they finished third, they beaten the rank the world number one ranked team they've beaten the european champions and they've beaten that team for the first time in over 20 attempts so if you're going to begrudge those girls a bit of celebrating and uh, you know having a having a good time as a result of that then uh, you've got a bit of a heart of stone and you probably need to to think about why it is that you're critical being critical but in terms of how it, how it affects the sport in this country the fa have got a big job on their hands and the big the big job that they've got is try and get people through the turnstiles for club football the reality is is that we had a lot of interest in women's football when the olympics took place over here in 2012 we had 70,000 people watching gb against brazil at wembley 80,000 people turned up for the the gold medal match between the us and japan and the the following week when the wsl the, the english league over here recommenced there was nowhere near those figures you know it was hundreds not thousands that were attending the games so what they need to do now they almost need to take the mentality of, of the US, I think, in that they build up stars and they almost they are, they have come, you know, celebrities in a way. Everyone knows who they are now. If they didn't know who they were before, they certainly do now. So they need to build on that. They need to get people interested in the likes of Tony Duggan and Steph Horton and Farrell Williams and, and get people following the players. If they don't want to follow the clubs, follow the players. And um, I think time will tell. It will, it will be interesting to see what tactic the FA takes to try and get people through through the gates i've seen one of the the second division clubs over here doncaster rovers bells are offering a number of free tickets for the first num x number of people that re register an interest in coming along and i don't think it would be the worst thing for other clubs to follow suit you know offer maybe kids entry for free who come with a paying adult or something like that because that's what's going to get people interested and that's what's going to get people uh, coming back and, and following their local club all right, and from there, we are going to go on to the final. Last night, the USA won their record third Women's World Cup title, obviously the first in a little while. Um, for me, I was in a much more social environment, which was not the best for analyzing the match tactically, but fortunately, fortunately with a scoreline like that, there's not a whole lot to be said. I, I was very stunned by the turnout we got. I'm currently in Kentucky, not in New York. Uh, and went to a bar where the American Outlaws have kind of an outpost, if you will. 
and standing room only, you know, beers being spilled every time there was a goal scored. Very, very reminiscent of like the supporters groups in New York that I've been a part of in the past. Um, and so just the experience as a whole was phenomenal. To start the way the U.S. did was just incredible with Carly Lloyd getting those two goals in the first 10 minutes was insane. And then adding the hat trick in the first 16, you know, not to forget a Lauren Holiday goal that is the envy of anyone that plays football. Um, just plucking it out of the sky beautifully. It, it, you know, over before it started is kind of the cliche that comes to, turn, it comes to mind. Uh, I was mentioning to these guys before we started recording, there were people that showed up to the match 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late, or were in line for beers because it was packed and, and missed, you know, two or three goals. Um, so that was, I, I don't know, kind of talking about the development of the game as a whole. Um, you know, U.S. fans can be very specific and, and kind of fail at the larger interest of world football, but you know, c- come a final, show up and they're going to yell, and you know, call for red cards that aren't even yellow cards, and, and shout their, their themselves hoarse. But uh, the fact that the passion is there, I, I think, is something that uh, is awesome to see. Really, um, so it was obviously a, a tremendous experience. Japan looked like they were going to fight back into it, scoring in the 52nd minute. We scored again in the 54th minute to really seal it again. Um, if you wanted to see goals, great, great game for neutrals. If you wanted to see a competitive match, maybe this wasn't the one for you. Was was pretty surprised that Japan actually held possession uh, slightly, but you know whether or not that was uh, after you know you're already four 0 up uh, in the opening twenty minutes. You know that could skew things a little bit, but obviously a dominant performance from the U.S. Uh, probably my favorite moment, uh, you know, other than the early goals, which kind of settled it, was getting to see uh, Christy Rampone and Abby Wambach lift the World Cup trophy together. I thought that was a really great moment and uh, one that will live in the memory for, for quite some time. What did you guys take away from the match? <clears throat> I think you covered a lot there, Kev. Actually, I think, to be honest, um, Japan didn't really didn't really turn up for the first 10 minutes and they, you know, they suffered because of it. USA set up well, um, you know, went for a Japan side who, you know, I think you could probably say that um, they didn't particularly defend very well in that first 10 minutes. I mean, that's one of the, you know, big rules in football is, you know, stay tight at the back. And, you know, it is, I think the first goal could have been, um, yeah, could have been, could have been stopped. But, you know, it's a great run from, um, from Lloyd, you know, typical late, late run into the box. And, I don't think anybody went with her at all, and you know she finished it well. You can't argue the way that USA went, you know, four 0 up after sixteen minutes. But I think it was a shame that the tournament end, ended in that way. I mean, you know, there's some great goals as you mentioned for a neutral to watch. But I think you know after that initial shock of or initial excitement of seeing you know USA score four goals, then you actually think it's yes, the end of the game. Now I actually considered going to bed at that point in time you know considering that the game kicked off at uh, midnight here in the UK you know you're kind of thinking you couldn't see Japan come back into it and perhaps that helped Japan in a way that they could you know play a bit more freely because they, they kind of looked looked like they had you know a bit of possession after that and they scored a good goal themselves to get to, to get one back um but yeah, not not to avoid, you know, not to miss the Carly Lloyd, you know, the, her her third goal, a hat trick goal. I mean, what, you know, what a goal! I I think the guy, Japan goalkeeper would be disappointed with the, uh, you know, being caught so far off the line from there. But you wouldn't expect a player to perhaps, uh, you know, hit the ball from there, or you know, um, or even get it on target from that point, even. But you know, 
USA did what they wanted to do. They got into a decent lead, um, but for the neutral, for me, I think I think I saw somebody tweet that it was kind of probably, you know, the worst the worst result or the worst scoreline you could have had at a half time. You know, for the women's game, it, you know, it's been such a great tournament, but to finish on 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 that result, you know, obviously if you're American, it's great. <laughs> Not so much <laughs> yep. for Japan. But I think from a neutral perspective and for the tournament as a whole, for the for the tournament to finish as it did in that way to be such a one-sided final, um, you know, fair play to Japan. They came back and they came back to four-two, and it looked like you know, you know, they could have put some pressure on, but USA kind of got that fifth goal, and uh, and that was it again. There was a, a sort of small glimmer there. Um, I mean, to be fair, I did enjoy the game. You know, watching it as a neutral, um, yeah, watched a lot of games. I think it's 50, 52 games we've been through this summer, and it was a bit of a tinge of sadness actually. In the last game finish because it's been a, you know it's been a great it's been a great few weeks and um, I, I was hoping for a bit more in the final I have to say I'm slightly disappointed but you know it's been a great tournament as a whole anyway congratulations to America yeah it got a little bit uncomfortable didn't it I think the viewing for the first 15 minutes when you saw Carly Lloyd lob um, lob the keeper yeah, from half actually you know I, I will say one thing you know some people have given the keeper some stick and yeah I think it's one of those where she keeps her balance. She keeps that one out. But as you have seen from yeah. Charlie Adams' goal last season for Stoke mm. against Courtois, did exactly the same thing. When you are backpedalling, mm. you're trying to keep an eye on your goal and you're trying to keep an eye on the ball as well. It's not quite as easy and as, as simple as keeping your feet. So uh, for me, absolutely stunning goal from Carly Lloyd. To have the audacity to do it is one mm. thing. To be able to pull it off is something completely different. And you know, we said in the last show about our players of the tournament. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I mean, she absolutely ran the show last night um, and showed why she is the bet for me the best midfielder in the world. Um, you know, they started at such a ferocious pace. I mean, the game started at such a you know such a high tempo, and Japan just couldn't deal with it. I mean, the fact that they had to pull Iwishimitsu off after 33 minutes. You know, I, I'm pretty mm. certain she was the player that was supposed to be marking Kylie Lloyd. I mean. You're absolutely right, Jay. That that goal not just could have been stopped, it should have been. No one went near her. No one went mm. anywhere near her. And the fact that she was able to do exactly the same thing for the second goal as well exactly. that she scored. Yeah. You know, it was it was it was really I mean, I, I you know, I felt pretty bad after I tweeted it, but I put a tweet out saying if anyone's seen the genuine proper Japan defence, can you tell them that their understudies are struggling? Because um <laughs> they were they were completely, completely all at sea. You know, it wasn't the Japan defence that we know and that we see. You know, Saki Kumagai who played was playing centre back, she plays for Leon in France. You know, she is she is a world class defender. And mm. and they were all over the place. And it was it was genuinely really embarrassing and, and actually for me very uncomfortable to watch seeing Japan pulled all over the field and you just wondered how many it was going to be at one stage. You know, when it went to four after 16 minutes, you're thinking, is it going to be another Germany-Brazil World Cup game from the men's tournament last year? You know, mm. you wondered if it was going to be separate because it, it just got really, really embarrassing. But credit to Japan, you know, that that's one thing you can never say about them is they don't give up. You know, they managed to score very early on uh, in the second half and, and make it a bit interesting. Sadly for them, they, um, you know, Tobin Heath, managed to score almost immediately afterwards and then the game yeah. kind of petered out a little bit after that but yeah I'm, I'm with Jay I mean as a, as a spectacle it was a little bit of an anti-climax because the fact that it was over in 15 minutes you know it's mm. disappointing from a, a neutral's perspective from an American perspective you're on cloud nine you know you can't ask for a better fight, a better start or a better first 15 minutes in any sport um, but in terms of how the US dominated and how they got their tactics right in just playing to their strength 
you know, playing with that high tempo and almost bull. And they got it absolutely right, and and they should be credited for that. Disappointing for Japan, but you know, they got to another final, their third major final in a row. So that's nothing to sniff at. Yeah, um, one of the things that I, I picked up on was uh, Megan Klingenberg had kind of some ups and downs throughout this tournament, and she had a great match yesterday. Um, and I, I caught some flack earlier in the tournament uh, regarding uh, Carly Lloyd when I was saying I was disappointed with some of her early performances. Obviously, you can't expect what happened yesterday to be the norm, but that's what she's capable of, which is I was glad I felt a little vindicated that we got to see her at that level because, as you mentioned, possibly the best midfielder in the world. I, that's that's what we've seen in, in U.S. matches in the past, and it, it wasn't in full effect early on. We we uh, relied pretty heavily on Rapino in the first few matches, uh, but yeah, once Carly Lloyd found her footing, it was incredible. And we mentioned on the last podcast about the possibility of Carly Lloyd getting a hat trick, um, and it happened. So. I don't know what that says. We're probably psychic or geniuses. Definitely one of the two. Carly Lloyd obviously having a tremendous match, ending up winning Golden Ball for the tournament. Almost winning Golden Boot, but on a technicality, which wasn't assisted, ended up being on minutes played. And the way it was presented on our telecast, I was aware that she would played more minutes, and they said it's because she played more minutes, and I was waiting for she's going to win it, not really realizing it was the ratio they were really going for, uh, which led to Sasage getting the Golden Boot. Um, amongst other things, Hope Solo getting the Golden Glove, Kadisha Buchanan being awarded kind of young player of the tournament. Do you kind of agree with all of those uh, awards that happened? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. No, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I stand by my uh, my picks, actually, from last time around, um, other than Carly Lloyd. I, you have to give it to Carly Lloyd when you put in such a dominant performance in a World Cup final, the biggest game on this, you know, on the world stage. You have to you have to give her credit for that, you know, to score a hat-trick and run the show from midfield. Um, not just in that game. She had, you know, brilliant, brilliant performances in the knockout matches. So you, you have to say she was deserving of her award. Uh, I think Amadine Omri came runner up, didn't she? And, and we mentioned her in the last show, and I think it was Ayamiyama who came third. I would have had Julie Johnston in that top three personally. I know she scored the own goal, but as I said, I, I thought she was uh, was tremendous throughout the tournament. Uh, young player, I don't I don't argue too much. I know I said Ada Hegerberg, but I think in reality, Kadisha Buchanan was a lot of people's uh, pick for that, and no and arguments from me. Playing at home, yeah, yeah. I mean, you want you want the home nation to, to achieve something out of it, don't you? And, and if they're going to get the young player, that's something that they can be proud of. And, uh, you know, she's got a big future ahead of her. And Golden Glover, I still stand by it. Nadine Ingram had more to do throughout the tournament than Hope Solo. Hope is a world-class keeper. And, um, you know, if she'd had more to do, then the likelihood is that she would have kept more shots up than she would have conceded. But the reality is, is that she had a solid back line in front of her and didn't have an awful lot to do. So I would have stuck with Nadine Angra for Golden Glove. Yeah, I can't argue much with Kieran, really. Um, I I also agree with um, Angara as the Golden Glove because I, she's had more to do and obviously uh, has performed a fair bit better than Hope Solo has. I can see why they've given it to Hope Solo, you know, being the keeper in the final, but I don't think she had an awful lot to do in the final either. Um, Khadija Buchanan, another, you know, that, that she's been great this tournament. We've we've tweeted about her so many times in the way that she, you know, she plays a game and she picks up the ball and runs with it. She did it a few times against England, which was, you know, it's very impressive for such a young player. Um, as for as for golden boot, I, I think we touched on it um, la- in the last pod that um, you know Germany had a couple of games in there 
um, in, in their qualify in, in their sorry in in their group that's uh, similar to Norway is that you know they they could score a few goals. So I think that you know the golden boot is is you know is a little bit of a <laughs> void competition in a way because they. Um, you know they they they've had less opposition to play against and, and were able to uh, you know to, to to have a bit of shooting practice in those, but you know perhaps it hasn't helped them as the tournaments. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss it's gone on really because they kind of struggled against the other uh, you know the, the, the better teams but um, yeah for me Golden Ball Carly Lloyd's been fantastic she's, she's got better as, as the tournament's gone on as have America um, and Medina Omri you know great player we also touched on her before so I, I can't argue with too much uh, too much there really um, I think the other the other award was the fair play award to France uh, was uh, mm. was the other one that was uh, that was mentioned so um, yeah for me you know, the golden glove is, is probably the one that I would uh, I would disagree with the most yeah I, I uh, <laughs> perhaps inebriatedly uh, came up with an idea of kind of exponentially weighting goals based on importance so if you level them based on how far in the competition they were scored, um, I don't know whether or not that would really balance out if it was actually used. But that was my theory on how Carly Lloyd could have won a hat trick of awards on a night she won a hat trick uh, to win the title. All right. And that pretty much concludes uh, most of what happened in the past few days. But looking back on the whole tournament, do you have any kind of like final thoughts to share with the listeners? Yeah, I I have to say that I've really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the World Cup. Um, it's been you know it's been a, a great learning experience because I myself have covered the Palace Ladies for the last few years. It's been great to team up with the club and see how the club uh, has evolved over that time. And it's very similar to watching watching England evolve in this World Cup. Actually, going into this World Cup, I think the best that they could have, or the best that you know the, the the public were expecting were um, quarterfinals or, or or those knowledgeable in the game were saying quarterfinals would be a good uh, you know good position for for England to reach or a good stage for them to reach. 
Um, and they've exceeded all expectations. I mean, they you know they lost that game to France, which you know um, Mark Sampson was very you know criticised about in 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 the fir- in in the first game. But England won their other two group games and, and managed to get through out of the group and into perhaps arguably the better side of the draw um, because the other side of the draw was kind of top heavy in the, in the fact that it had Germany and and USA on on that side and France as well. Um, so while you know a little bit of luck was on their side. Um, you know, we beat Canada, um, a host nation, which is no mean feat, and obviously, um, you know, narrowly lost to Japan like we did. But claiming third place has been fantastic. It's been great to watch all the way through. Um, but I think the, the thing that stands out most for me is the fact that you know, watching the women's game, watching you know, this is top level women's football. Um, there's not a lot of arguing with the officials. Um, that's that's the main thing I've noticed. Um, also, there's not a lot of diving. There was, there has been diving. I'm not denying that, but nothing like we would normally see in the men's game. And you know, I've said before, I don't like comparing the women's game to the men's game. But I think the men's game could take a bit of a leaf out of the women's game from this competition alone. In that, you know, the officials just got on with the game, didn't really get much back chat from players, um, and you know, the games are played at a particular tempo, and and you know. There seems to be a lot of pride in the way the teams are playing for their for their countries, and that's how it should be. You know, um, you know, uh, there was quite a few games that we watched that you know players were getting stuck into the game. I mean, like we mentioned, the third place playoff between England and Germany. You know, a third place playoff didn't. You know, you wouldn't expect it to mean an awful lot, but they were getting stuck into each other. You know, they were you know going for every ball, and there was a couple of occasions right in the centre circle that you know there was a pile of bodies, and they were just battling for the ball. You know, it's been great to see that side of things. You know, real proper, honest football, and um, I think that's one of the, the things I will take away from it. I knew that the standard of uh, women's football was you know w- was decent before and going into this, um, but also you know the, the learning from a lot of other football fans that you know hopefully come out. Of this World Cup, thinking actually, I'm going to go and see a game of, uh, you know, going to see the women play football a bit more often, particularly England. You know, they got the European qualifiers coming up for 2017, um, uh, and also, you know, the, the the Women's Super League, and, and and even that, you know, get behind your you know your local women's club. You know, it's uh, it's good fun. I know I could vouch for that. I've been down to see Palace Layers a few times, and you know, hopefully, we can see a, you know, a few more faces around. Yeah, Kieran, what were your overall takeaways from this tournament? Probably two many to discuss on a podcast, if I'm honest with you. I think, uh, you know, uh, starting with the winners, I think that got that third star, that third World Cup for the US. Uh, I think f- I said it in a magazine article. Um, if England couldn't win the tournament, then I'd like the US to win it. And the reason I wanted the US to win if it wasn't going to be England was because those players for 16 years have had the pressure of the 99 team that won the last American World Cup. Mm hanging over them, uh, likes of Abby Wambeck and, and Christy Rampone especially, who've been in that setup for a long time. They've had to deal with that. They've had to be compared to that team over and over and over. You know, the likes of Julie Faldi and Brandy Chastain and Michelle Akers, and they've not been able to get rid of that because they hadn't won a World Cup. And now they've got their own story to tell. You know, People don't have to keep referring back to the 99ers. They can now talk about the team of 2015 that went and won the World Cup and didn't lose a single game in the tournament. So I think from that perspective, I think that's a nice story. And, and I, I take a lot of heart from that. Um, as I said, I've never hidden the fact that I've interviewed a few of the, the American players. And, and I think despite the fact they deny it, I think it is a pressure that's, that's sat with them. So the fact that they've been able to win that tournament, it's, it's something that is now um, you know, monkeys off their back. And they can now move on to the Olympics next year and, and try and reclaim their gold medal title. From an England perspective, I haven't really got much more to add to what Jay said. 
I think England, as I say, for me, quarterfinals was par. Anything more than that was a bonus. They finished third best ever performance in a World Cup. Uh, they they just need to build on it now. They need to try and go into the European Championships in 2017 because obviously they won't be at the Olympics next year for political reasons, not for performance reasons. Uh, and they need to try and build on that and, and do well in the European. They finished as the top-ranked European team in this tournament. So theory suggests and logic suggests they should go to Holland in 2017 and win the whole competition. doesn't work like that, but you know they've got to try and build on it and there's a lot of confidence in that squad at the moment. And, and just from a general overview, I think for me it was seeing young players given the opportunity to shine and players that maybe people don't know so much about you know the likes of Ada Hegerberg for Norway and Kadisha Buchanan for Canada and you know some wonderful players that people who follow the women's game will know but maybe those that don't won't know about them the likes of Veronica Bouquet who who plays for Spain and uh, you know Lady Andrade for Colombia who I thought was brilliant and a great character and um unearthing these these names and, and these players that could show what they're capable of on the biggest stage Obviously, it was the biggest World Cup today. We had 24 teams. So there were players and teams that had never performed at a World Cup before, the likes of Switzerland. Uh, so for me, it was it was an enjoyable tournament. Um, I think there was a there was an undercurrent of, of issues that kind of existed. Obviously, no one is happy that the tournament was played on turf, and that was something that continued to, to kind of crop up. And I think, you know, Veronica Bouquet came out uh, at a convention at the weekend and said that, you know, we weren't able to show our true ability and our true skill because of the fact that we were playing on turf. And I think that will always be a shame. We'll never really know how good the players and the teams would have been unless they played on grass. Um, and it's a shame. That's the reality of it. But uh, yeah, I think overall a positive tournament, but as I say, a little undercurrent of disappointment because of you know things that the players didn't have that were out of their control. Yeah, for me, um, I had watched the the U.S. women's before, as I said in the first episode of this. Um, the the twenty eleven Women's World Cup was, was pretty soon after my interest in football as a whole, and and kind of seeing us fall to, to Japan in that final the way we did, um, really kind of marked me as somebody that was very invested. I, I think a win would have made it easy to kind of be a passive fan, and I, I do agree with what Kieran said about you know we kind of had the shadow of ninety nine looming. But in a weird way, just because I, I think the level of information isn't uh, high enough, it led to a lot of us kind of viewing ourselves as kind of underdogs throughout that period, um, like waiting to see us finally kind of achieve that that level of superiority and, and winning that third star that, that's going to be put on the kits. Um, and so I think people got more invested by the heartbreak than they would have with, with success in 2011. And as you mentioned already, players have become superstars here. Uh, there was a person yesterday at the match uh, that <laughs> referenced um, one of our players. Is, is that the girl from those Copper Tone commercials? Which really highlights how we've commercialized a lot of our players and have kind of put them in the, in the public eye. I think it was Christine Press. Um, uh, and I, I think that that's all great. And I, I think that this is going to kind of encourage people even more. In the States, in women's sports, women's soccer is the way to go. If the U.S. men's ever catches up to that kind of philosophy, everybody needs to watch out because uh, we're currently defining our best male talent between four other sports before they get to soccer. But um, I think it's always good. We've talked about the gener generational impact that England's performance may have. I, I think it'll happen in the U.S. even more so, uh, especially as leagues develop and it becomes more viable as a professional option. Um, I know for me, as a, as a guy that played sports in the U.S., you, you know, you're constantly told the statistics of, you know, why you should re at least have a backup plan, if not kind of forego sports, especially in that kind of high school to college gap and then the college to professional gap. 
it's very hard to make it at that level. But the, these kinds of performances really inspire that in, in whole generations, and, and that, that cannot be understated for me. Um, on a personal note, um, this is not supposed to be a plug for them, but uh, we weren't really intending on doing much for the Women's World Cup, and Togo approached us and asked us if we'd be interested in doing it. And uh, based on my experience with the U.S. women's team in the past, you know, I said, you know, I'm not going to be an expert in this, but I, I would very much love to get more involved in it and follow the women's game more. And I found this whole experience to be incredibly rewarding and will definitely kind of be looking to uh, club football and, and further tournaments down the line with, with anticipation um, as everything looks really exciting, you know. Uh, the Dutch side is incredibly young. I hadn't watched them before. Obviously, their first World Cup, so getting involved in that is, you know, is a process of how involved I am with the Dutch men's national team. But it was very exciting to watch them. Um, and and from there, that's actually a pretty uh, nifty segue into how we're going to wrap this up, which is that's that's the World Cup. This is over now, uh, but we only have a year before we get to watch elite women's football again at the Olympics. So heading into that, with that in mind, what teams do you think are kind of trending upwards and trending downwards heading into the Olympics next year? As Kira mentioned, it's a bit of a shame that uh, for political reasons England won't be represented there. Um, but um, putting that aside, I think France would be uh, quite strong in, that, uh, in, in, in the Olympics and also USA. <clears throat> you can't discount them. And I'm pretty sure Japan will come back uh, strongly again next year. Um, as, as for anybody else, I mean, you can't discount the Germans again. I mean, they will learn from this year um, and, and look to um, you know build towards next year. Whether that's too soon, but I, I would fully expect them to come back um, and, and challenge. So I think it all adds up to be uh, you know a, a, another good competitive um, competition uh, for women's football, and you know that will be great to see. I, I think there might be a few surprises. There's been a couple of surprises in this World Cup, which has been great to see. You always want to see you know a few teams. Uh, do something like, like Colombia in this World Cup, surprise France. Um, and, and hopefully that can happen in the Olympics next year. But for me, I was impressed with France. It was a shame they didn't get, get past Germany. I think they perhaps did enough in that game or should have done enough in that game to, to get further. But um, I'll certainly look for them as, as one team to do, uh, to do a little bit better in the Olympics next year. Yeah, I think Brazil will probably want to have a little say in how things go next year. Obviously disappointing to go out to Australia in the second round they will be the host nation um, obviously with the, with the Olympic Games being in Rio so I think it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting one to see how they cope obviously Marta will still be around at that point I wouldn't imagine that Formiga would be despite the fact that she actually had a very good World Cup despite the fact that she's uh, she's the, the wrong side of 35 pushing 40 but um, yeah I, I think Brazil will be a team to look out for playing in home conditions uh, obviously the US are the holders so they won't want to relinquish that medal to too, too quickly, but obviously we would expect their, their team to be slightly different next year. I wouldn't imagine Abby Wombeck, uh, uh, certainly Christy Rampone, I wouldn't expect, but uh, she was asked the question, I think, the other day, and she said, we'll see. So it would be amazing to think that a 41-year-old would be going into the Olympics. But as I said in the last podcast, age is no barrier because she's still a class X, but it'd be interesting to see if Abby Wombeck's there. Um, and as, as we've discussed, very disappointing that, that England uh, are not going to be there. Yeah, representing uh, Team GB, I wouldn't have any issue if it was much like last time where we had players from Scotland and I would, it'd be nice to see some players from Wales and Northern Ireland representing that squad as well. But as it is, we're, we're not going to see them. And uh, yeah, the Germans will be up for it because the Germans didn't qualify for 2012. They had a disappointing 2011 World Cup on home 
Christmas soil. As a result of that, they didn't qualify for 2012. Um, so I would imagine that they would be looking to try and bounce back because, as I've said on record, don't think they had the greatest World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back next year. Yeah, um, obviously I'm going to be a little biased here. And this Dutch national team I mentioned, very young, average age of 25.5, uh, six starters under uh, at 24 or younger. Um, is a team that's only going to grow and with more international experience is going to get better, especially as they eye that 2017 uh, Euro that's going to be held in Netherlands where they'll have kind of that home field advantage, preferably on a field and not artificial turf. Um, USA will be a very interesting tale. We're assuming that Rampone will be done probably Wambach. Well, time will only tell on that whether she comes around, but I think a World Cup would be a really nice moment to kind of leave on. Um, which kind of leaves the U.S. in a pinch. Obviously, Alex Morgan didn't have the tournament that many expected. There were injury concerns and the turf issues, which have been mentioned many times. But if she's not firing, there aren't really many other options for us. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see what we do. I know we played Sydney LaRue up front uh, with Abby Wambach in our opening match um, when Morgan wasn't fully fit yet. Whether or not we rely on that going forward will be interesting. Um, but as far as that goes, I, you know, only time will tell. It should be very fun. Uh, if you want to just touch on it briefly, the reason behind England not going is political, but with Brazil? No. Uh, essentially, um, the it's difficult to kind of explain, but as people will know, we're, we're a country within a country. So the, the, the t- Great Britain is made up of uh, Scotland, Wales, England and Northern Ireland. Um, well, it's GB and Northern Ireland. So... All the FAs from the home nations have to agree that this is going to be uh, something that they want to do. And unfortunately, the FAs from Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales are not in favour of uh, a Team GB going to represent women's football or men's football uh, at the Olympics next year. They've stated that London 2012 was a one-off because we were the host nation uh, and it's not something they're looking to do. They have cited um, potential damage or potential risk to their independence or their their sort of their position as an independent nation uh, which i think is absolute nonsense because there are other sports um that team gb is is represented in and uh, it doesn't seem to affect them and also i look at rugby which i know is not a massive sport in the us but uh, the british and irish lions get together every few years and, and have a tour down under against new zealand south africa or australia and that's made up of players from scotland ireland wales and england and they come together every few years and and play against one of the Southern Hemisphere teams. And then the following year, they'll kick two lumps out of each other in the Six Nations. So I, I don't see why we can't have a Team GB team. I don't think it's uh, I don't think independence is, is going to be affected or um, how they're viewed by the rest of the world. But unfortunately, uh, it's not something that we're going to see, unfortunately, for Brazil next year. Yeah, definitely something we'll miss out on as, as a lot of people kind of fell in love with that England team and it would have probably been beneficial to see them the following year to kind of keep up interest. But uh, I guess we'll kind of see how that develops going forward. All right, and with that, we have concluded our Women's World Cup coverage. I want to thank you both uh, for coming on. Thank everybody else that came on, John Wallen and Andrew Gibney and Jen Gordon and, and everyone that joined us, Jim Fishlock as well, and everybody that both was involved and listened and we couldn't have done this without all of you and we very much appreciate it yeah thank you guys for listening it's been uh, it's been great fun watching and covering the women's world cup 
really enjoyed it and thanks to uh to kev and play toga for inviting us on it's been uh, it's been good fun recording these podcasts i'm jay i'm editor of eagles beak we continue we'll, we'll we will continue to cover the palace ladies next season um we um follow each follow them each week at the different games that they're playing so head on over and and, and check out the site lots of crystal palace content lots of palace ladies content but also there's lots of football content for for those of you who don't follow a team or follow somebody else we we interact with all sorts so um you can catch us on all the social media um, websites but mostly on twitter at the eagles speak yeah thanks very much kev it's been a been a pleasure to be involved with this podcast for the first time uh, during the world cup and uh, yeah it's uh, and thank you for those that have tuned in as well i hope that it's been educational if not uh, uh having to listen to our monotone and, and rambling voices at <laughs> times but um as i said my name's kieran tavum i'm the founder and presenter of women's soccer zone a fortnightly audio show dedicated to women's football uh, you can catch us at audioboom.com forward slash WOSOZONE to listen to the show. It's also available on iTunes uh, and we're on Twitter on at WOSOZONE. Yeah, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Twitter at Kevroff. If you'd like to reach the podcast, you can either tweet us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Obviously, the Play Toggle Women's World Cup Challenge has concluded. I'm sure winners will be receiving their uh, prizes in the near future. But uh, we would, again, like to thank them for sponsoring us throughout the Women's World Cup and would urge you to go over to playtaga.com for all of their upcoming stuff, including a draft-style Premier League fantasy game that we will be having a league in for the members of the roundtable. And we will also have a few leagues below us uh, for listeners where we will have promotion and relegation. And if you get promoted, then the next year you're going to be in there with all the big boys. So that'll be very fun and is a project we're excited to uh, be a part of going forward. All right, so thanks again for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.